0: Good day.
1: This is Michael Newth of Going Global International Interviews. We're speaking today with Jeff Castleman, the founder and president of Optimize, a real estate technology company. We're talking with Jeff today about some research findings that he made uh, from a National Association of Realtors sponsored trip to Asia. You will find edited transcripts of this interview available at intlalliances.com and midwestbusiness.com. So you might as well start with questions. I tried to put them together In order first to learn more about what you do How you do it, those kinds of things Then about your trip And then end up with some kind of personal thing Okay, so um, I believe mean, you mentioned on your website What you do is convert existing analog space To digital smart space But how do you do that? What's the difference between the two? Analog uh, space is uh, is everything that's been built to date. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, The 1980s and 1990s construction, mm-hmm. uh, not in terms of brick and mortar necessarily, but in terms of systems, mm-hmm. uh, individual uh, incompatible or non-integrated systems supporting whatever functions take place in space. So what kind of we'll try and list now. Building systems, uh, meaning uh, air conditioning or HVAC, as we call it, heating, mm-hmm. ventilation, air conditioning, HVAC. Um, uh, gas, water, mm-hmm. uh, electric, mm-hmm. uh, building security, telecom, mm-hmm. internet. Mm-hmm. Is more and more becoming telecom, but in the 1990s when we were putting in the building, wasn't. Sure, there's a separate phenomenon. There's use to many people a separate phenomenon. So all separate systems, non-integrated, uh, each serving an important function or purpose, and they simply play not and usable for whatever the put out there. It's a certain hotel or office or, or whatever it is. Um, uh, but uh, as the wave of digitization continues mm-hmm. the roll across the, the world, even the world. All these buildings, virtually 100% of buildings mm-hmm. uh, were built prior to uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we'll need to go through a conversion to maintain their value, mm-hmm. if not in cancer value. Mm-hmm. So the first point of the exercise is value preservation. Mm-hmm. The second is value enhancement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's all two perspectives to both of those items, one mm-hmm. from the tenant or user's perspective, one from the owner or landlord's mm-hmm. And they often overlap, but they can be entirely different. How so? the landlord is interested in maximizing the value of his property, mm-hmm. not necessarily providing the ultimate tenant mm-hmm. The tenant is interested in the ultimate tenant meaning meaning that thanks to the, best bank for the bank. Um, what they pay are they getting a that value for? It? Okay, so in other words, a builder might or might not want to put in the most advanced internet services because it's more expensive, but the tenants, if they're high tech, are probably going to want There's a saying in the real estate world that uh, uh, a smart building is the one that is fully You never need to be any <laughs> more than that. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And that is the, the experience real estate investors' attitude towards this wave of digitization. Okay, but then alternatively, if it's not leased, it gets to move a builder to add amenities to get it leased. Ten years from now, all buildings are built this way, mm-hmm. and buildings that were built prior to that time were built this way, and then you're a user deciding mm-hmm. between the two sets of so buildings. Mm-hmm. you're going to choose the one with the belt, the belt of the day, mm-hmm. be it technology, amending, or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the owner of the older building, who didn't choose to invest in uh, mm-hmm. making those upgrades and improvements mm-hmm. uh, to his or her property, is no longer going to have a building that's worth what he, or she thought it was worth, but that's in mm-hmm. So that's the dynamic of value mm-hmm. preservation. First you want to sure your asset which is built to last with standard test time right we're building buildings the last 100 years not the last five years mm-hmm. uh, and the lease cycles are five or ten or fifteen years so you're gonna have a series of tenants come and go over well the, the, the life cycle of the asset mm-hmm. uh, and you have to keep pace with the changes that occurred during that time uh, so it starts with putting the right infrastructure in so that you can change with the times without having to a the building out and rebuild it Okay. So you need sustainability and flexibility mm-hmm. uh, both in terms of uh, aesthetics and usability but also in terms of infrastructure. Uh, mm-hmm. I think if the user who built this building really prior to the, uh, the time where that was a necessary or desirable thing to do doesn't now catch up by putting that into physical property, mm-hmm. they're in big trouble. Not this year, or not or next
0: year, maybe not even the
1: year after that, certainly in this next lease cycle. somewhere in that that you know, I in the horizon, I think, but I must be this that they within the next five years, you know, there's no problem, and this applies to every existing building. Certainly in America, it's not the world. From residential, from your house, my house, your apartment, your condo, my house, my condo, all the way up to the biggest, most significant buildings on land. Government institutions, airports, we are already seeing some transitions. force, since we're sitting at the right, mm-hmm. um, just decided they need to be hotspots to accommodate the business travel. So we are putting in uh, roughly this low-speed wireless networks, which are cheap to deploy. Uh-huh. Some are doing it free, some are doing it for a fee service, most are outsourcing it to a third party to operate, and so it's not the core competency. Uh-huh. Um, that, let's just call it one-tenth. Of the way to that conversion, mm-hmm. and that conversion can take place. The transition can take place all uh-huh. the right? Or it can happen a little bit in a time. Huh? Uh, and bust, okay. a lot depends on budget. A lot depends on your appetite. A lot depends on how well these two are or not at the time. Um, but I think you will should see is the biggest structures, such as airports, convention centers, government buildings. Um, major educational institutions, hospitals, mm-hmm. you're gonna see a five or 10 year transition where we do one significant thing every year. Get it right, get it working good, get it integrated with the next thing, but you're gonna see a march, very steady conversion process. Uh, and very few qualified uh, uh, consultants
0: mm-hmm.
1: helping decide the process. Those that are guiding it tend to have a destination with a product or a service mm-hmm. that gets deployed as part of the conversion for example Cisco they've got some very qualified advisors to help guide this process that mm-hmm. they're required to sell Cisco services Cisco hardware, software a full range of what they're going to offer mm-hmm. uh, as part of that consulting process. Mm-hmm or uh, We don't really care which product our customer ultimately decides to engage not as long as they get a good bang for their buck uh, and they're satisfied with it at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. we try to educate ourselves in the best of the bunch. There's existing players, there's new players, there's players who will stay with at the time, there's players who will uh, uh, burn out, fade away. Uh, and you have to be careful about doing business with, with those people they yeah. have a great product or service today but if they're out there tomorrow to it services it may not have been worth the price it's debatable uh, those are all things that a third party independent advisor uh, can, uh, can provide to us yeah. and we can advise both building orders who don't want to sell their building who want to keep ownership of it yeah. but begin can understand what the transition means to them and how to do it in a cost effective and of fashion, if at all. And we mm-hmm. also advise the users. Uh, mm-hmm. You may not have a strategy. The big users, the city groups, and the Amazon and the IM, they have a strategy that probably don't need our service. And mm-hmm. any mid-cap, small-cap, micro-cap, mm-hmm. privately held, uh, startup entrepreneur, any of those companies is unlikely to have in-house resources or in line you're and that to a a long answer, but I mean, it's, it's a Sure, I understand. Um, I mean, it sounds like that mirrors the real estate industry. In other words, there are buyer-side brokers, seller-side brokers, and in a sense, you kind of reflect that. You know, owners versus tenants, so on and so on. I think it's has uh, good observation that those are a lot known for for 17 years of the real estate guy's over here. Well, just, you know, people who don't know technology and real estate don't know all this stuff, which is the point. Um, I mean, you mentioned Cisco. Are there other telecom, data center, wireless companies that you've worked with already, either your current company or when you were with Julian Sudley? Uh, not one of was with Sudley, and uh, there are several that we uh, interact with or track. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you divulge their names or do you think each will remain anonymous? You know, most I think would prefer to remain anonymous. There's one that I want to throw off here. So what do you think about it for a minute. Uh, I think it's okay to lose your name. Uh, you, know, you, know, you know wireless? My AAR, the wireless? It's not kind of just me now. No, okay. everybody's got a different sort of mission in the world. Um, and knowing not too different than what you do, and that's why I was so fast, and the interesting experience knowing when to match whom with whom. It's a real value added this task. First, you have to know this set of folks, and you need to know this set of folks. You need to have enough in hope to be able to figure out when the right matches are made. Uh, and that's sort of what we do, uh, but with, a, with an array of different vendors providing an array of different self-set of services to the overall focus of smart our building, our digital building, our next gen building is made up of so many different uh, components. We're lot of building um, And that has nothing to do with technology, that has nothing to do with build technology, right? Creative right. yeah. mortar, conventional financing, brick and mortar, location, 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 economy, rates, uh, user demand, um, statics, uh, architectural design, zoning, permitting, right? I don't 15 has had technology at a core and then they're using technology to enable a processor. But that, those are real things. Uh, so what we do is sort of create a, I'm not sure what we call a overlay. And I've got to say, the interview obviously is an opportunity for you to present to you and your company the editors of ePrairie might filter some of the kind of you pseudo know, promotional stuff out. So no problem. I mean we try and make it as educational as we can. Um so we kind of use it for them as, you know, this is the marketplace mm-hmm. and then this is where we stand. Mm-hmm.
0: No problem. Just um, no. Helps.
1: Um, have our help. Um we're doing in the new and I know that the EPRI editors and news editors we talk you, you out other meetings. Um but our philosophy is that you can create real safe guys significant real estate value by right? taking a good real estate situation. all of real things that have talked about you know, putting a tech overlay a source going to it. If everybody's power that draft that's their tech overlay is gonna be different. It could simply be a digital signage integrated digital signature. It could be used a lot of here in the state we could see lot, lot lot other of countries right. and just well, I'm yeah. I want not be in I mean for example I was in Sweden, you can go to a movie theater and it will okay. show you who functions are allowed for each you want to see.
0: There's no reason you couldn't do that. Right.
1: We're having the CPA here. You know, other countries throughout the world they tell you how many minutes until the next train runs. No reason not to have that here. 100% 100%. Well, I think I couldn't we've hundred percent online on most comments. Um it might be biometric security, it might be a connectivity yeah. strategy, it might be a software strategy, it might be a building automation strategy, and uh, it might be all or any combination. And that's just the direction, so like, all those contribute to energy efficiency. You know, those are all subcomponents of making building more smart than they currently yeah. are. And of course, when you go to the ground up, there's opportunities to really do things or have a scale, uh, that accrue to uh, allowing you to do more get more free money or do more with your money than you can with the retrofit Retrofits are uh, going to be a big part of this world as it to evolve uh, mm-hmm. with not ever being going to want to do this construction. So there's going to be an impressive goal. Well, I'm curious though because I mean it sounds like there's an impending change maybe a big change but that it hasn't really started yet. Is that an accurate assessment? Is there a particular time you expect it to hit? Is it going to hit big and we're going to see big changes? Or is it something that happens very much below the surface and you don't even really see that? it's well, a great question. I think there's really two answers two, two parts of the answer. Uh, there is a, a, a cutting edge world of service providers mm-hmm. and of products and services uh, which is quickly moving to address this world and some of the players in that world are not to be taken lightly and they include the people like Cisco and Google, uh, you know, Equity office, which is the largest office mm-hmm. um, There's some really significant players each with a concept of what their slice of that eye needs to be or ought to be and are intent on pursuing Microsoft. They are all big on how they deploy that. for mm-hmm. um, example, was yeah, you have the who got the screens in elevators that you're going up? Or is that, I think that was a lot of a lot of landlords who do that now and I'm not trying to give credit for being personally. It would surprise me if it definitely said I couldn't have a web. Those are just little tiny oh, sure. exactly. I mean and I'm just trying to think of things that people can relate to where they can see the things that you're talking about. see uh, them um uh, train, right? training. Right? Also like training as they can really see um, different paths. Well so they see themselves as they'll see themselves coming, smart building systems yeah, because they see their ECB and world being more directly integrated with other building systems that are operating together as a whole team oh. uh, So they see that conversion uh, and are trying to get a little bit ahead of, of the curve uh, in terms of being a third party free uh, agent advisor, we see ahead of the curve but there's a whole world of small, medium, large companies trying to carve out their niche in, in this quickly evolving world. The second part to the answer, though, is that the transition will largely be subtle, if not transparent, because uh, if you're not purposely looking for it, mm-hmm. and one day you go to the airport and Wi-Fi isn't at the gate, and the next day you go and it's there, you might go, hmm, wow, cool, but mm-hmm. well, it's probably not going to rock your world. <laughs> if you go back a year later uh, and you now have the ability um, to interact with um, the person that you see. see or a kiosk, you know, or a paperless or a personless gate with all kinds of biometric security, right? It's not going to be transparent, but it is going to be a fairly subtle um, steady transition because we're now talking the a in a couple of years. Uh, and I think most people, and I think, I think the mainstream experience with this will be that of a fairly steady, fairly subtle, often transparent convergence of things where they're in a the building which is now operated entirely differently than it used to be, which is good for the owner, right? He's saving money, operating more efficiently, he's creating value for the building, but the user or the casual or visit visitor to that building can't get So sometimes it will be concerned, sometimes it will be so, sometimes it will snag and uh, yeah, in between eyes. just in the airport today, you can see there are a lot more kiosks here than there were just a couple months ago. and. I don't see how they need to check out every kiosk, but there are a lot more of From that level, I think over America's ability to budget for uh, this kind of a change so they, If I would like to do it all one year, if I would like to do it all one year, or a getting approved through their various approval mechanisms. So they budget for what they can afford, and they go out and they destroy that particular set of, of products or services in that particular year, and then they figure out how to get a budget for it. Uh, and also, so that contributes to that slow steady transition. in the midst of. I think it's on the left. I think it's so early. or in year two, or year, year one. Uh-huh. So it's been on going on longer than that. Mm-hmm. But if you try to tag it into a starting here and ending here kind of time frame, or right? in, in a better analogy, in the nine inning baseball mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. you know, we're probably bottom of the first maybe top of the second We're on the way. No question about it. Uh, mm-hmm. But in other words, it doesn't sound like it started necessarily right after Y2K. sounds like a while after that. I think so. Um, and I guess the timing is important. I mean, I just threw it out there because... What's interesting is, in my view, the like uh, data scanner will teach different aspects of what makes digital or smart building society. Picture is <laughs> uh, it, driven by the data standards of that group and, and, the, and the, the perfect example of that is the internet itself which was nothing about universally accepted globally accepted data standards H-TML? uh HTML, yeah. so, uh, Wi-Fi Wi-Fi was a very interesting but struggling industry with a whole different set of protocols and standards until so they came together and formed the Wi-Fi Association and agreed that we we're going to operate on this wavelength. This kind of uh, stack of protocol, and all of a sudden we can't win without
0: wireless.
1: And it's exploding on the scene. And that's going to be true of our ID. And it's going to be true, which is still trying to figure out the a uh, data centers, worldwide data centers. Why not? We haven't perfected the data centers yet. Uh, so why not speed Wi-Fi? There's no guarantee. They need they need universally renewable data standards to create a marketplace for the product services. So everything that's taking place since Y2K, in my mind, is a product of tech like and data standards. <clears throat> uh, and both are evolving at similar but different pace. There's also a mobility element to it. Nuance, convergence in devices that are mobile. Uh, and we've enhanced computing power and we've enhanced memory according to North Law. Uh, but the one thing that really has remained constant is battery power. And we're pretty much getting improved, but not only compared to the qualms is the and affordability of memory and processing power, and mobility of uh, memory and processing power. You know, we're pretty much at the end of the physical, you know, the physics spectrum of mobile battery capacity from the time of So fuel cell technology becomes micro, and mobile, mm-hmm. uh, the one thing that's going to hold back mm-hmm. the further conversion, further extension of the mobile world, in my opinion, is specific to for batteries. I mean, is that going to impact the current kind of real estate things as well, do you think? You know, you, so. so. plus, I mean, you, know you are trying to create a ubiquitous mobile uh, mobility enabled environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's no so different than having a super computer with no content. If you don't have users and people taking advantage of the mobility, then putting the mobility in place has a questionable ROI. ROI dynamic. Yeah. So uh, you need that eyeball content. Sure. You need sure. A for it. Um. I guess. In exactly. Inner wireless. Um, where do they fit? Inner wireless uh, is taking. Uh, Main buildings, building, such as the Time Warner Center mm-hmm. uh, in New York City, uh, which was developed by Debra, which is a normal U of M alone. It's going to be called the Related Company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you want to take any... I don't know if we can you can fund you a it, I am very fortunate. But then we should... That's the developer, the Related Company, mm-hmm. and the chairman is Debra, he's oh, just gifted in the mm-hmm. yeah. University of the university.
0: What do they think the B-school
1: acronym. Yeah, have a couple of rock school. You know? yeah. Stephen Ross uh, developed the Town Center, which is a mixed-use, mid play, uh, multi purpose mega mm-hmm. building uh, at the southwest corner of the Central Park mm-hmm. uh, in Manhattan. And Inter-Wireless created the connectivity strategy mm-hmm. for that property. And it involved uh, high-speed wired connectivity. Mm-hmm. It involves wireless in the appropriate places within the facility and it involves cellular connectivity. Um, so uh, boosters, uh, routers, enhancers, um, so that any self service will work anywhere in the building, uh, including the elevator, which is unusual. You get into a high-rise, high-speed elevator you're going to drop calls 99 times out of 100. Uh, so in a wireless premise is that uh, they can customize uh, connectivity or communication uh, infrastructure for a property uh, that covers the spectrum of known communication uh, systems. Um, and they might stack Cisco in one and a buy in another. So again, they're sort of independent. They're not trying to... We're not obligated to sell you Cisco hardware uh, or routers. Um. Intervention, strategy, consultants? Are they do so the, H- the implementation of project management as well? Okay. Um, and you work with them right? uh, We are uh, trying to figure out how we can do more of these. Um, so on your website, you also do factory optimization. What do you do now? Are you there any technology? Well, well, we think so. Um, what we do uh, in facility modeling is use, my partner is an engineer, and using engineering uh, protocols and techniques and off-the-shelf software, which we can talk about okay, software now. Um what we do is we build a status model of the company's that exists in operation. Uh, and then we begin to Change out a virtually unlimited set of variables, often dictated by the customer, sometimes suggested by us, often both. Uh, and we run simulations of the computer model of their operation, uh, and we score them that against their status uh, quo and show them over a period of five or ten or twenty years, whatever time frame they give to us. Uh, what their operations uh, will do using those changing, change variables. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, to optimize their layout uh, or their processes uh, as a means of better utilization of their real estate. So we, we help re-engineer and redesign for optimal operating efficiency. We designed to move that out. And then we put the real estate, the walls back around it. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes it means changing physical spaces, creating buildings, building buildings. Sometimes it means reconfiguring within the confines of existing floor walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's computer uh, software driven models. I mean, are there particular off-the-shelf products you recommend that people can use themselves for this kind of stuff? Or, or it, are there brand names you could reference to you? Sure, um, it's all off-the-shelf stuff. Uh, perhaps the barrier to entry would be um, the licensing cost, mm-hmm. which is quite uh, significant, and uh, the, the man hours of training just to gain a level proficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, when when well, the user of this service ventures into this world. It tends to be once every 10 or 20 years. It's once in a long while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they only have a limited use for it, and that's for the duration of the project. Um, it's not something that they tend to use every day or uh, once they acquire it, will begin to use on a regular enough basis to run it themselves. In theory, what we would suggest then is that the better off finding the consultant is also somebody like us, uh, who's already acquired the software, and... Uh, spent thousands of man hours on it as opposed to 75 base hours in a baseball proficiency uh, that can do the custom programming and, program and the interpretation mm-hmm. uh, and to do it in a time efficient way so that they don't have to A, buy up or B, assign somebody to train on it uh, and figure it out longhand. What Maybe they save money. We think they probably lose money in that proposition for what we charge. I know it's not the concept you want to hear in the tape, but there's a real niche for us in this world. uh, And while there are several people doing simulation, we have yet to find anyone else who's married it together with traditional real estate commercial business service. Mm -hmm. Now it becomes one-stop shopping. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the point differentiation is not that anyone else who might suggest that they also do computer simulation is that once they're done with simulation, they take their fee and they go home and they leave the user to then go find some user and implement the solution.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We do both. Well, yeah. that's just, always a uh, Right. We we very um, um, good. Um, the software includes AutoCAD. Um, yeah, but you that you have Uh we use autocad. We we, we do uh, the, the important part of this is that some of the the tools we use are stack modeling, which involves uh, quantitative analysis mm-hmm. and spatial relationships, but don't not have motion, mm-hmm. static. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also use dynamic modeling tools, which is actual 2D or 3D motion. So anything that's got repetitive motion, a process, mm-hmm. we can study, analyze, tweak, redesign those processes, and show it to a customer graphically, mm-hmm. interface. The emotion, mm-hmm. um, and those are what we call dynamic models. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each of our customers, uh, has different needs. Some want both, some want one, some only want the other. Uh, so we offer both products. Uh, on the on the uh, the staff side, we have AutoCAD, uh, we have factory plans, factory flow, uh, and factory CAD, and those those. Uh, Last three are all overlays on AutoCAD. If you don't have AutoCAD, those three would work. So you sure. need AutoCAD as a precursor prerequisite to those. Uh, we also have ProMod, which is a dynamic modeling software. Uh, we have 3D Studio Viz, VIS. Um, and we have uh, ActivePlan, uh, which gets into uh, active manager asset management modeling or multiple building uh, scenarios uh, which is dynamic and uh, we're experimenting with uh, a variety of different 3D dynamic software uh, products uh, because we're, we're seeing in a, uh, an increase in the interest level for our customers and having 3D versus 2D which doesn't change the analysis at all. <laughs> The analogy is a little fluffy, but you know, you and
0: the it's, like it's, d- a, d- it's a graphical
1: interface, but it does help people get their arms around what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Some some uh, to the map, mm-hmm. some to the graphical interface, uh, and that's what gets it done. Uh, and that's why our customers like either, and sometimes both. We'll mm-hmm. why we have a range of products mm-hmm. uh, to do that. So those are the the software, yeah. and they're all commercially available, but the licenses are $15,000 to $45,000 per seat, uh, it gets pricey. Mm-hmm. Uh, typical time for us is $30,000 to $50,000, so you know, we need to do $25,000 jobs and yeah, You can advertise it a hell of a lot better. Else? It, it's not worth it for our customers to go acquire $30,000 so worth of software, then figure out how to use it only for a one-time practicary once every 10-year practice. But I'm, I mean, it helps for people to know what you have in your, your resources. So, you where know, to find that kind of stuff. Right. Um, You mentioned synthetic leases didn't really seem to be appropriate for our conversation. And I guess in a nutshell, what is a synthetic lease? A synthetic lease is a uh, financing and accounting tool for commercial real estate uh, that lets you... Uh, uh, own a building off balance sheet, hmm. which frees up your capital to be spent on uh, more mainstream, more high return business uh, assets. Uh, when you own a building, mm-hmm. uh, and you account for it in a traditional sense, you depreciate that asset and you carry it on your books. Uh, when you have a synthetic lease, uh, some people call it a lease, some people call it an ownership vehicle. Uh, it's a way of aggressively accounting for, favorably accounting for real estate uh, with favorable tax consequences and with all balance sheet benefits. Um, you somehow transition capital expense to an operating expense? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, these are operating leases, not capital leases. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, the IRS uh, had a uh, an unfavorable ruling on credit leases a few years ago, where uh, most of the conservative, especially public utility companies, but most of the conservative big companies uh, in America, divested themselves of any synthetic leases uh, for fear of scrutiny and, and suggestions of impropriety. Um, so it's much less of a tool today than it was three to five years ago, which is when it peaked. Sure. Today's version is CIP, Senate and Common Investment, which might be a security issue and it might be a real estate issue if both worlds have rushed to fill a void, while the IRS and the FEC you look at it and go, hmm, how are we going to handle this? This is exploding and we're going to have to address it. So until they address it, people are free to do what they want with it. Uh, but the days of TITs that we know them today are gonna come to an end probably September 2005 and they're gonna rule that you need a real estate license to transact TIT, in which case security dealers won't be able to, or you need a securities license to transact TITs in which case real estate people won't be able to, or that both are qualified subject to further licensing or think they, they are gonna come out with some sort of, a, uh, of an official position on the matter in he literally a game. Uh, and that course, loophole mm-hmm. in the system with a little smush, the way the market. It really doesn't have a whole lot to do with technology. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a overbought, overcomplex accounting vehicle for people to be aggressive with their, their real estate. <laughs> That's not the term, yeah, it might be interesting, I mean, talk about it a little bit, but how progressive is the real estate industry in terms of investing in new technology? The real estate the service industry uh, is famously slow, uh, especially as compared to the residential industry uh, or many other uh, mainstream industries, even non-real estate. Um, the medical hospital industry and the social work industry are probably the two slowest uh, industries to, to uh, fully engage or, or fully uh, about aggressive technology, practices, products, and services, um, but, again, the transition isn't the way people are finally uh, budgeting and self-educating and beginning uh, to the place to work, and it, 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 it's $50 to Now, do you see the differences in Chicago, in the Midwest, nationally, and when you get to international well shortly? No, uh, in a general sense, no, but there are communities, and I don't... Okay. Think, I mean, I've got to believe Kansas City Coast, Valley is more progressive. Um, not necessarily, believe it or not. Um, there's, there's, there's spots everywhere, mm-hmm. uh, and some of these digital appetite is not uh, is excluded from a farm or a barn or a 100-acre uh, uh, student ranch or, or a mountaintop lodge any more than it is Silicon Valley or CBD Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an appetite for it pretty much everywhere you look uh, and it's growing in its critical mass uh, and its, I mean, it's mainstream nature. So um, a couple of years, and it's changed so fast that a couple of years ago you might have said, well, Boston, Texas is off the charts and Silicon Valley is off the charts and Boston is off the charts. The um, Chicago is gaining some momentum, whether it's a hazard or not is certainly open for, for discussion. Uh, yeah, Philadelphia or something?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah that or the desire to uh, 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 to land the super collider which is underway now, um, um, being the home team, Motorola and having Motorola. Move into the city to attack the, uh, the labor force that they want. There's all kinds of reasons. All kinds that Chicago was getting it, uh, as I like to say. Now Philadelphia, Philadelphia is making. They're well on their way to making the entire city a uh, free Wi-Fi network. Um, it's not on the drawing board. Uh, the point in and execution is underway. Um, yeah, uh, Austin is doing some tremendous things. Uh, they have digitized parking meters. They have government. They have uh, their own electrical utility that they own and operate because they recognize that oil is a finite commodity. Uh, over the next 30 to 50 years it's going to cause enormous, enormous problems for their community. If they don't proactively do something about it now, uh, they're going to have to react to it later, which is a position they're to not be. So they to establish their own electricity so they serve the entire city. Um, uh, so there's all kinds of, of uh, communities, and I don't mean incorporated cities or villages or towns, mm-hmm. but, but critical masses of digital, digitally interested users uh, that are popping on everywhere. Uh, what are the, the users, though? Is that the exclusion of builders and developers? Do the users that are needing it are pulling it along? Good question. You um, um, forget you have the eBay as the, the Amazon. Are they the ones who are requesting more <coughs> you know, real estate, AT brokers, whoever, to stuff? Sometimes we equate it uh, to the, the internet. internet. Uh, where before the internet existed there was not a whole lot of people running around saying if only somebody would invent the internet I could be so much more effective at my job I could be so much more efficient with my time I could connect with so many more resources and people in school Um, there was no demand yet it still came along and and very quickly gained uh, uh, broad or mass appeal for all the right reasons um, but even digitized real estate is, is much the same way, where there aren't a lot of people necessarily running around saying, it's got to be this, it's got to be that, my world would be so much better. There are some visionary real estate people who are saying, if I do this, I can create value in their focus money and also offer a better user experience to boot. Uh, uh, well, then who are those real estate Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, they're mostly abroad, um, uh, but there's a few people here in the United States that are, are starting to try different things, and some are private developers. Uh, some are uh, lenders at GMAC uh, who encourage it. Uh, equity law offices got all kinds of R&D projects underway, trying to figure out how they're going to reposition the... Uh, all of their Class A assets uh, across America uh, which are these analog Class A office buildings uh, mm-hmm. that are in okay. uh, so they have uh, single purpose Class A highly polished marble buildings with slow glass windows mm-hmm. uh, they like to buy the nicest properties in each market uh, as a rule of as that's their, their investment strategy um, uh, and they like to offer the, the best product in the market to the tenants and they charge a little bit more rent than the other guys in exchange for that, which isn't a bad proposition. Uh, but there is no uh, converged or compelling technology in place in any of those properties, which means when the next wave of office buildings gets built and they have open architecture and converged communications and building operating systems. Uh, and they have uh, a much uh, keener or, or desirable tenant experience offer for comparable pricing to that of equity well, Class A analog buildings. Uh, their A buildings are gonna come B buildings and their returns are gonna go down and at least their, uh, their re-performance is gonna suffer. So they, and they're well aware of it and are thinking we're going to have to do something pretty significant with all of our properties. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're just not sure we know what it is yet, uh, how to budget for it, uh, and how to deploy it in a way that will first preserve that value and also enhance the value and keep it as the dominant property in each market, uh, no matter who builds what land. Um, So there are a lot of entrants into the arena. of The Mandarin Oriental a hotel at the Time Warner Center. It's got all kinds of uh, technology at work. Um, both uh, in the obvious form, the flat panels, and uh, in the, in the wireless in the rooms, uh, the video on demand from the servers, uh, where they've bought the licenses to the titles, to so a, a, a virtual, uh, virtually unlimited library of titles, so that from your bed, wirelessly, you can tap into their server network of first-run movies and watch at your leisure uh, and all going through your television. Uh, are there any buildings like that you can point to in Chicago or in the Midwest? No. Um, there are smart communities. Um, and for example, the hub, I think it's like 248 South State Street, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be a high-tech center incubator, all that kind of stuff. Right. right. With all of the latest and greatest technology. Here. I'm not sure if any of that ever got into that. You know, uh, I've been in a building in four or five years. Um, their proposition, as I understood it, was more of a plug and play incubator, oh. accommodator. Wow. Uh, it wasn't on a range of other things such as the biometric security or the digital signage, the integrated digital kind of strategy or the uh, robotic parking that we saw in Japan as an example or uh, the the building uh, automation for the building system so that all the different lights and all the different heat sensors and all the different sprinklers and all the different uh, air conditioning valves and all the security systems and all the video cameras, each one plugged into uh, a massive uh, private network and each with its own unique IP address, each capable of being integrated into a master operating uh, system uh, in command center, either on-site or remote or both. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our definition of smart building, if there anything like it, in the United States, uh, let alone in Chicago. Uh, there are buildings that are revisiting their connectivity strategy. There are buildings starting to put flat panel screens uh, in the lobby, which is not an integrated digital signage strategy. It's a flat panel in the lobby, but it's a start. Um, there are people that are uh, putting wireless networks uh, on site uh, for their tenants. There are people that are taking a position that uh, high speed broadband connectivity should be treated like a fourth utility uh, and shouldn't be done if this very system is fighting the intent. Um, so there are pieces but nobody has integrated in a master plan and aggregated an aggregation of existing, low risk, uh, proven technologies at one place at one time and created a truly ubiquitous computing, smart, uh, digitally operated uh, environment, which is what we uh, see coming in the next five or 10 years and what we've been traveling around the world in search out. Okay. And it sounds to me like you pretty much just gave me a definition of a smart data. Is there anything else to add to that or is that pretty much it? Those are all the different elements and it's any combination at the end of the day. Uh, some of it is, is obvious, Um, Some of it is not as obvious. Uh, You know, the back end off-site remote control type management where uh, uh, we call a a building operations center um, uh, or a building command center, whatever you want to call it. Um, Most users will never see that or appreciate that. Um, Yet it's an important component to uh, a truly next-gen, smart building. Um, another component might be uh, environmental sensitivity. The ability to harness any energy uh, is efficiently uh, and harmoniously as possible, uh, which sounds, uh, you know, it sounds granola or uh, 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 too, too far out there, but in fact, uh, uh, I think the real game world is just starting to appreciate what higher oil price over a sustained period of time means uh, um, to the operation, the construction, and operation of the property, uh, and the fact that they better fairly quickly, fairly comprehensively from all the new strategies and systems. Um, and some of that is, is manifest itself in, in green element. Um In terms of the green side of the smart building. Uh, we talked about data standards before, and the data standards that emerged is this LEED rating system, L-E-E-D, uh, which is controlled by the uh, U.S. Green Building Council, USGBC, Uh and they came up with a way of rating buildings, and they have a platinum, gold, silver, and bronze rating mm-hmm. uh, for existing and or new construction buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to achieve each of those levels, you have to... Uh, adhere to very rigid, sometimes uh, extra cost standards, uh, but we see LEED energy ratings becoming government mandated in the next three to five years. Uh, most governments are already building their buildings. Any new construction government project has a LEED, a green element or a LEED rating associated with it but they're already practicing it. It's just a matter of time before the private sector uh, is mandated to follow along. It's a matter of of energy survival. It's coming. It may not be three or five years, but it's absolutely coming. Uh, And that, therefore, uh, needs to be integrated into the definition of a smart building. Uh, It should be standalone, but it has to integrate with the interoperability. It becomes a critical component. I don't know if that was on your list. Um, Interesting, Adam. Um... So, what is intelligent building technology, right? Is it to be the components to go into a smart building? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how relevant it is, but I mean, who plans intelligent community? Huh, typically. Uh, there's a whole cluster of people playing in that field. Um, in Asia, we've observed it tends to be government, Uh, Central government or uh, first wrong on the ladder governmental empowered or funded entities uh, uh, whose mission is uh, to master plan those communities. Um, We've seen uh, in the United States some economic development agencies uh, begin to uh, show not only interest, but, but execution in that field. We've seen prior. Every sure? state, every technology field. Good question. Yes, um, we Okay, I'm going right now.
0: Um,
1: all of the different, you know, in Illinois, as a CEO in Texas and Michigan, all the all the. the Traditionally, active economic uh, agencies within those states are now offering uh, tax credit and investment incentives for higher technology uh, with definitions that vary from state to state that will allow some of the type of uh, investment we talk about in technology uh, to be uh, either matched dollar for dollar or uh, low uh, no or no-interest loans or uh, income tax credits or investment tax credits to help offset the cost of those. Texas and Illinois, and Michigan in particular, uh, are doing a fairly good job. I also saw Illinois created a the Illinois Technology Fund uh, to invest in technology-driven uh, startups um, uh, or in technology. They don't invest directly companies, right? there. invest in funds that invest in companies. I guess um, so. Right, I don't know the details of it. yeah. But, uh, got that but that's an example of people starting to understand that world. There's a whole lot of people putting tech parks and tech centers on the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their concept of tech centers and tech parks is catering to companies uh, in the field of high technology uh, that has nothing to do with technology-automated or digitally-driven real estate deployment and execution into themselves. Those are still analog buildings Mm -hmm. that are targeting high-tech users, but it doesn't sound like they're providing them high-tech amenities, resources, and their high-tech amenities amount to uh, connectivity. Uh, uh, Often, redundant electrical systems or on-site substations uh, so that the power grids never go down. Things they care about, um, uh, are not hard and fast in our definition of digitized uh, real estate. And we missed an important component of this, um, which I think will fill in some background into the philosophy behind the need for these uh, buildings so, uh, in planning and execution. And that is uh, the belief that uh, the world of truly ubiquitous computing isn't that far away where you can do anything with anybody anytime anywhere with enough enough confidence security and robustness and then with you that there won't be anything you can't conduct from anywhere which changes the dynamics on why people will choose to go to accomplish things to accomplish uh, where they go to do it um, in other words, why I go to an office? You don't need it. Right. There has to be more than office space waiting for you, at your office space, for you to want to spend a big block of time there. Because you can be just as efficient from your bedroom. Well, chances are, you're not going to want to stay in your bedroom or on your desk. Uh, but you will be able to do it from the airplane, from the train, from the ballpark, from the elevator, you name it, from the pool, from the health club. You're going to be able to do it. So now, why will you choose to go where you choose to go? Uh, we believe in creating communities—live, work, play, mixed-use communities—where people have enough critical mass of things for them to do and interact with. Work, office space, retail, entertainment, hotel, condos, apartments, homes. I'm kind of like a kind of somewhere. So, although you know he's got a whole lot of mixed use. he's got a lot of condos and a little bit of a weekend year. Uh, I'm sure the percentage has changed. We 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 look at Trump and, and consider that to be the last of the couple last of the horse buggies. Uh, before the automobile came along, people were building these fabulous horse buggies, and they were putting all kinds of new, fancy leather, better wheels, and, and better shocks. Um, they were just making the horse buggies buggy better and better and better and they were blindsided when the automobile came along. It was this disruptive technology. Sure. And and that's exactly what we think will take place in the world of commercial buildings. Real- mean, it's taking place in every aspect of the world. Our small part of it is in the commercial sector, not in the residential sector, but we see that aspect of it coming too where homes will are changing in home buildings across America and NER and some of the organizations uh, the National Home Daughters Association I think I'm missing a letter in that it may be NHBA um, are very actively encouraging their members to get their arms around smart technology uh, with an eye towards the whole of the future um, but I think it comes back to the live work play need for a new type of community where the building, the real estate is performing 24 hours a day not 8 hours a day um, and where there's enough things there for people to want to seek it out and spend time there as opposed to anywhere else where they could be equally effective. That's the dynamic behind uh, where the demand will develop Mm -hmm. for these smart buildings. So uh, building a smart office building isn't necessarily a smart idea if it doesn't have other misuse aspects of it. uh, If you do it as an interim plan, it's not a long-term plan. You can take of an you can of yeah. office building and make it a smart office building, but you've just you just watch yourself five years. You haven't lost yourself you get to 50 years. We can come back. To yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. We haven't talked about any of your international stuff. Yet, okay. For the record, we're probably going to have to humble. Okay. Not far, but, okay. Um, do fire. Okay. What inspired you go to Asia? How did that come about? Uh, through a, a, a group called uh, Real House. Right. Which is a really a, a real estate conference, or a conference that uh, focused on serving the convergence of commercial real estate and technology. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose of being, and it's been around six or seven years now. Uh, and I started as an attendee, and became a speaker, and then I became an advisory board member, then I sort of became an inner circle uh, friend of the proprietor, owner, operator, um, and he sort of handpicked a handful of guys. Uh, who he met through his conference, uh, who over a of time he came to were special with different backgrounds. Uh, one is an HVAC engineer, one is a uh, uh, telecom uh, systems engineer, one is a real estate expert, uh, one is a uh, capital market or financing expert. We all have different backgrounds, but we all share the same fascination and the conversion. Uh, And the six of us sat down and said, uh, we should build the kind of building we're we're dreaming of before anyone else. Because no, it's not on the radar screen here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And then we decided that we needed to do more research and see if any such buildings existed outside of the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, This group, actually, before I became a part of it, it, did a United States tour seeking out the smartest buildings they could uh, find. I came away from that extremely disappointed uh, that all they could find were uh, data centers uh, um, and buildings with you know internet connectivity, uh, which again is not quite what we had in mind. Uh, so how did you figure out where to go, what to look for, and so on and so on? It, it was uh, recommendation from vendors and people who are active over there. Uh, okay. Yes, Carol. Um uh, Yeah, well, I'm interviewing a guy from my town. Yeah. What do you need? Yeah, uh, I'll be back to you in about an hour. Okay, bye. Um, we were we were told at uh, a conference about a year ago, now about uh, two June or July ago, so a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, uh, that if you're interested in seeing truly smart digital next gen realty, you, know, you need to go to Asia, uh, where that's all they've been building for the last three or four or five years. So who is it? It's the Uh These are uh, attendees at the RealCom conference. In um, you know, other words, from agents. I don't know, they were people who visited agents. People who've been there who just saw it firsthand. And so it's more of a word of mouth thing. So we started doing some research. We, we utilized our, our network of contacts and said, you know, if we came to Tokyo, we were looking to see this kind of thing, is there were anything to see? And it turns out there was, and we found it. And we found another and another, and when we critical mass in a city. That city stayed on the list. Um, critical mass being what? Three, four, five. Three, okay. four, five things to see. If there was just one thing to see, it wasn't enough to justify a, a visit to a city, no matter how desirable it might have been to, to see that thing. Because we had to be hyper efficient with our time. Uh, we came up with uh, 36 or 38 projects in. Uh, seven cities in five countries and we covered all that in 12 days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, five being three or four days. Gotcha. You made two trips over there? Yes. When? Uh, February of 2004 mm-hmm. and March of 2005. Got Um, I have done the trip kind of went over that and said, 16 million years and that's all Seven cities, I believe we're on the RealCom site that right I found in there? Uh, our, yes, we, we were largely redundant with our first trip. Mm-hmm. Um, the second trip was the first official organized RealCom Asia pay money to attend the trip. Mm-hmm. The first trip was personal recon by some guys who had a community kind of, uh, trip. <laughs> Pay for uh, out of our own pockets, um, and so uh, we came together and after we returned to the United States after the first trip, and sort of ranked what we saw in the cities and communities that we saw and the people that we met with uh, with an eye towards putting on a for-profit guided trip sometime in the near future. So um, the first one, intensely research. The second one was this is what you need to learn, you know, for attendees. It's exactly right. We didn't hit all the things. We hit most of the things not all the things. For instance, we didn't go to Beijing the second time. We went to Beijing and China the first time. We didn't think there was enough to go back there for mm-hmm. the second time, although one of the best buildings in the whole trip mm-hmm. happened to be in Beijing. But going there for different one building just didn't justify it when you were trying to cram all the other stops in all the other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a difference there. Um, we also came back so overwhelmed by what we saw um, and we were trying to figure out how to get the word out to the relevant communities and people mm-hmm. uh, they need to, to educate us on what else is going on uh, in other places uh, so that they themselves and bring that back and impact or influence their own networks of that. So we can't do it all by ourselves. Uh, the digital aptitude of the society in the places that we visit goes so far beyond commercial real estate. It goes so far beyond commercial so real estate. We went for commercial real estate education we came back with uh, a global perspective on the appetite for digital business. Mm-hmm. Uh, And there's reasons why uh, other places on the planet have embraced it uh, and, and put it into practice in better ways than we have. Okay. Well, um, there are many places in the world that aren't bogged down with the same level of wired infrastructure mm-hmm. that we are in the United States. They got to skip over that and go right to next generation technology, such as wireless. So they don't have the same issues. Uh, Number two, uh, all the places that we visited except China. Uh, So uh, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Seoul, Korea, Singapore, Um, all these places are mountainous, rugged terrain where 100% of the population lives 15 percent of the land area and the other 85 percent is unfarmable and uninhabitable because it's rocky, and mountainous terrain mm-hmm. so what you have is very dense population masses in relatively certain the states small geographic areas yeah. which of course drives high-rise living and it's considerably more cost effective and easier both to put a backbone into those high rises and run copper or p one or cable connections to each unit in that building and you have a, uh, uh, a building of 2,000 people connected uh, via broadband internet um, uh, for the last mile connectivity is their issue in that part of the world. If, if it's an issue other places in the world I, I can't say seems mm-hmm. to me it's an American phenomenon where we want to our, our farms and our two-acre land sites, and to so wire each property one by one to maintain our uniqueness and our autonomy in the way that we choose to live our lives, uh, it's going to be a while. Um, another reason is government budgeting, funding, uh, and, and position. if governments of the places that we visited have all adopted the position that uh, we need to innovate and digitize at a more rapid pace than other places on the planet for us to secure a competitive uh, and, and uh, secure existence. Um, South Korea knows that they don't have uh, the population base to provide the manufacturing manpower that China. They never will. So for them to go head-to-head on manufacturing with China doesn't make any sense. Uh, they don't have Uh, the resources, uh, the population, the territory, uh, to do some of the things that the United States can do. Um, So they've decided that they need to be the R&D capital of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, While we were there on the last trip, Motorola opened its first uh, international, non-US-based R&D center, and they did it in Seoul, South Korea. Mm Uh, And it costs some people by surprise, but it doesn't surprise me in IOTA. That is the international, or certainly the Asia-Pacific, base for R&D intelligence and innovation. Um, The the society in, at least in Korea, and particularly in Seoul, is the most digital society on the planet, uh, where everybody is practicing a digital existence. Everybody is using digitized tools. Um, Things we spoke of a little while ago, the theater seating, and when the next train is coming, it manifests itself in the most simplistic ways, but it's it's already deployed society-wide. Such that the the current digital generation, those that are between the ages of, let's just say, 5 and 25, have never known anything else. They can't relate to a when that wasn't this way and don't have tolerance for anything that isn't this way. So they don't send greeting cards. Paper greeting cards? There hasn't been a Hallmark shop or anything like it in South Korea Seoul, for over five years. Mm-hmm. And if you give a paper greeting card to a loved one or a particular celebration or event mm-hmm. that is actually frowned upon no way for love Which is where the sentiment is. That's a quantum leap. Because you can add multimedia enhancements with music and video and selling. so on. Yes. So digital is better, maybe taking time to write something we yes. It's considered more sentimental, more considerate, more appropriate, all greater personal value. Um, cool. Um, another example might be... Uh, what happened here over there. Well, okay. Some I mean, you know, people are probably driving all this, okay. so maybe we'll, we'll get through as much as we can, and maybe someone you can just answer on your own. Okay. I mean, okay. Yeah, fine. Um, Let we'll me know what else you want to tell Um... I believe you said this is a worldwide effort. Have you gone to other countries or other parts of the world? Are you in Asia? Have you had any basic requirements in there? We've been to the, uh, the UK. Uh, my partner has also been to Dubai. Uh, I did not go really to Dubai. Uh, I think that's right. Dubai, Very interested in the smartest, most cutting-edge technologies that they can acquire and mm-hmm. uh, install in their property. And it's quickly becoming a a place to to watch and observe. Uh, but again, it's not founded in reality where money is an object. Size, scale, scope is almost irrelevant. Everything that they do there is so over the top mm-hmm. that these are things that won't necessarily be duplicated in the United States that don't necessarily have an ROI, ROI dynamic that will uh, export, if you will, to the United States. The same was true in, in Asia, uh, in, in China and Korea where governments are driving the message uh, we're going to spend money on digital tools, on free internet, on, uh, on things that we want you to use to innovate, collaborate, communicate. Um, these are tools that you need to use to get ahead. Uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon in the United States. The per capita tax spending there is fifteen thousand dollars ahead. In the United States, is less than 1,000 ahead. Um, there's, there's all kinds of differences. In Asia, the government, If they see an opportunity to put a smart community on the map, we'll physically move thousands and thousands of peasants off of what used to be undesirable land, which has become, right, in the path of development, become desirable. Don't give them four weeks, 75,000 people, four weeks to pick up and move, or they'll be forcibly ejected. It's not going to happen in the United States. So you have to go there uh, and learn what would work here and what wouldn't. and why there's differences in what takes place there versus what takes place here. And then I think the last point on it that I think is really important is, is the that are the definition of the digital divide, which is the, the age of the decision makers and the tools that the decision makers are using, uh, which is creating a digital divide In Asia, all of the pertinent relevant decision makers that we experience, in two different trips were under the age of 40 years old. So they've empowered a very young, relatively speaking, set of decision makers who are truly first generation digital. They've given them digital tools, and they've asked them to make digitally sensitive decisions for the next generation, which is truly a digital generation. That all connects real well. Now come back to the United States, and in a very general sense, and I mean, no disrespect to anybody over the age of 40 years old. However, we have a lot of decision makers, bureaucrats, government officials, uh, CEOs, senior executives, public private companies doesn't matter. Educators. We have a lot of people who grew up with analog tools, and that's all they know. And it served them very well, and they've been very successful with those tools, and it's put them in a position of decision-making authority. And now that they're there, now that they've persevered and they've achieved, what's the first thing they did? They become incredibly conservative. They're about longevity. They're about preservation. They're there. They like it there. They're close to retirement. They need to stay there. They need to get their pension. Right? They stop innovating. It's a rule of thumb. It's a generality. There are always be exceptions to it. Uh, but they embrace the tools that got them to where they are today. They don't need to learn new tricks. They're only a couple years from retirement. There's other people down the line to do that for you them, know, in theory. A lot of these old guys are proud that they don't need to do their own thing. Yeah, absolutely. But they're analog decision makers using analog tools to make a non-digital decision for the digital generation, which is still coming. Okay. And that, to me, is the definition of digital divide. And it's one of the biggest reasons why we saw society-level differences. They're educating their kids differently. They're giving them different tools. They're making more consistent, more uh, appropriate decisions using more appropriate decision-making tools and resources than we are here in the United States. Okay. But how can you determine part of what you saw? How how can you differentiate between the height and what's really happening? Well, in other words, how do you know that everything... That people were telling you it's being done is actually being done? There's signs of it. Everywhere. It's, a, it's a very fair question. Uh, the fact that China uh, graduated 350,000 engineers last year, mm-hmm. India 180,000 engineers, the United States 35,000 engineers. Okay, let's start with that statistic. Uh, another is that uh, according to a, a very reputable um, entity, and I can't quote the in exact initials, to you today, but I can give it to you The uh, email if you like it. It um, does an annual survey of the most innovative countries on the planet. The United States was perennial number one until this year when Singapore, which is a place we visited twice, jumped into the first place and the United States fell to the second place. With Finland, Denmark, and I believe Sweden going two, three, four. Um, and it's a highly regarded, highly watched ranking. Uh, the fact that the you United know, States is in the first place is big news, the fact that it, it helps for is enormous uh, news. Uh, the fact that every major educator in America was in a voice or an opinion and is willing to speak on the record is saying uh, how substandard the United States education system is and how it's going to fail us in the next generation as yeah, compared to uh, other places in the planet, such as China, Japan, Korea. There are contextual differences there too, In other words, some of the conversations I've had with other folks is different educational systems throughout the world can train people in a very mm-hmm. rote, specific path, but it's a different kind of education. And so, you know, there's a difference you can point to, but there are, are different... Interesting. The decision makers we experience in Korea and China mm-hmm. were all Korea or Chinese born, green, United States mm-hmm. educated. Mm-hmm back in Asia and China trying to change their, their ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've gotten the best of the digital education that their local country or community had to offer and went to the United States for a college or an advanced degree in education to be in that, quote, real-world, uh, market-driven, real-world or, or, or business dynamic uh that addresses I think what you just said and then they export that right back to where they came from, uh, where they merge the best of what we have over here with the way the world really works over there. And those were the most successful entrepreneurs across the board that encountered. Yeah, and kind of and I think my point though is I'm not saying anyone is better or worse. Uh, you know their advantages
0: and advantages to each. And it's simply part of what determines your
1: educational distance is the culture and the context. And you can't simply take the educational in other places and import it and you can't necessarily take wholesale all of what we do here in other places. It should be different. It's incredible, so, okay. and there are different viewpoints there, A lot of different viewpoints. We fund our educational with lotteries and gambling.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um.
1: So, Canada, uh, U.K., uh, my partners in Dubai, I have not, certainly across the United States a couple times. Uh, we are planning a European uh, tour for uh, later this spring. What can you say? Finland, There were two uh, government IT officials, uh, IT officials from Helsinki from Finland on our last trip who have invited us to Finland and... They were arranging in a couple of days of, of stuff, uh, starting with Nokia, then working right on down the line. Um, they haven't had a paper check banking system in over 30 years. You know, it's amazing when you stop and think about it, but 30 years, this guy came to Brooklyn to be a visiting professor, rented in an apartment, called his landlord, and asked for his EFT number so that he could pay his on time and his said, I don't know what that is and just opened up a checking an account and paying you with a check like everybody else. And he hadn't written a check in 30 years and wow. couldn't believe the attitude that he encountered. It didn't work with him. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, if I was my mind, why he don't go if you to the city. I mean, I was how many years ago in full yeah. swing right. era. Yeah. For sure. Um I mean, out some like, and more important to see here, but um, you might as well just to the um, How are they getting such incredibly high broadband rate in some of the countries where you're visiting? And would you talk about, just the numbers, I have them in there, but i so the script. Uh, the Stack, the Cerebite Stack, yeah. the gigabyte, yeah, and desktop. desktop speed. Yeah, doubling every three years, I think you said. You know, uh, I don't mean, have a, Confident answer for you, as I understand the, the dynamics of it uh, starts with accepted broadband capacity um, and, and goes uh, through uh, what is it called? Thin
0: uh, fiber.
1: They have equipment that enhances, and I forget what they call it. Uh, we back to okay. Sorry. You um, talked about all the different smart building technologies. I assume that what else, in addition to, lightning fast internet. Yeah, lightning fast internet isn't really the, the crux of of what's taking place but there It's certainly present. Um, and the fact that the internet is accessible virtually any place you go with little or no cost mm-hmm. is secondary to the the real. Uh, real estate specific and stuff that we saw. Uh, uh, the energy efficiency, the uh, IP uh, enabled uh, building systems, um, the robotic parking, the digital science strategies. Everybody had a little bit of a different spin. It says that each property was really good at one thing. And we got the benefit of going to each property thing. Let's take that one from this property, and this one from this property, and this one from this property. And we'll aggregate them all one place at a time. We'll have a whole new kind of an animal. But so we never really saw a comprehensive, fully integrated, mixed-use, mm-hmm. functional, in-operation building that we dream of building and mm-hmm. uh, operating. But we did see the uh, IT-based uh, remote operations for one of the other. robotic and it's the parking
0: and
1: a sense. Uh, but only to the extent that it, it, it has a viable business uh, uh, plan. Uh, you know, you have to be able to conventionally finance one. Conventionally finance it, which is only easy task. Uh, again because you're dealing largely with vendors who are more likely to be uh, like my analog model than my digital model, who aren't necessarily going to get it or
0: appreciate
1: uh or understand it. Uh, although that's well, yeah, I can I can So I, I, I can get around that. But that's you know, one just one option. Zoning is another and zoning I think goes back uh... 50 to the 1950s and i mean the just went kind of through a massive zoning uh... rewrite first time since the 1950s mm-hmm. uh, and uh... the conventional wisdom in the 1950s is that you need separate uses separate, separate places you need your office people over here you need your residential people over here you need your retail people over here you need your schools over here uh... and what the world is really coming to is this: you get this community concept right the urbanism where what you have is live, work, play, mixed-use components all in one place at one time. But mm-hmm. so that creates a zoning conundrum for a lot of big municipalities uh, who are still operating according to 50-year-old codes and ordinances. Right? And so that's a stumbling block. It can be overcome, but it's a stumbling block. So in other words, places so, that you visited, I mean, Singapore is relatively new. I got to be China. I mean, you think it's obliterated that and started over. They created a whole new district. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, when you talk about bureaucracy, some of the things you mentioned are known to be some of the worst in the world. Sure, but when they want to get something done, they can also toss out the rules and write in a way that yes. we can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may not have a legal challenge to stand on when you in China versus what you have here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that's always going to be an important thing. I still live sure sure? here. Sure. sure, not there. Uh, but uh, they can make things happen when they want Are the Wolves coming for the Olympics? need to put on a show. I'm sure they will. They are. No mm-hmm. oh, doubt about it. Okay. Internet access. If it's free everywhere, who okay. you? know, know, uh, in some instances, the government, or uh, uh, in some instances, it, you were at a mall called co International Mall in, in Seoul. Uh, there were kiosks operated by malls. Um, there were kiosks operated by Microsoft and by Dell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh there were uh free access uh high speed computers, internet computers in movie theaters, McDonald's, music stores, um Starbucks, and there are gaps in the everyone's given it a way for free. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's a given that in that society people want to be on the internet for short whether they check checking email or whatever they're doing, and I you're talking Korea, Korea, or oh. the uh, States, mostly Korea. Um, getting free internet in China or Japan or Singapore and Malaysia, which we went to the first time but not the second time, was no problem, but it wasn't as everywhere, it wasn't in the subway the way it was in in. Uh, in, in Seoul, although Hong Kong, which is technically part of China, but it's, you know, two special zones, you know, two systems, one country, or one country two systems. Hong Kong needs to be carved out of the China discussion, as you think Hong Kong. Um, two or three of the smartest buildings on the Earth reside in Hong Kong, and um, if you haven't been to Hong Kong, but you take the train from the airport and you know exactly where you are, uh, it's got the uh, screens in the back of the, the seat. that you have eight or 10 channels, you can control yourself. Um, the internet was accessible pretty much anywhere. Um, very, very digital, society overall. role. When you say it's free everywhere, is that kind of out in the retail commercial environment, Or, I mean, commercial businesses, industrial, residential, they still have to pay for their own? Correct. Uh, although the cost per gigabyte or whatever, megabytes, whatever benchmark you want to use, whole mm-hmm. call, mm-hmm. annual cost uh, per megabytes, mm-hmm. uh, are about 80% less there than they are in the United States. Okay. Uh, well cost in, in South Korea uh, for uh, 50 megabytes to your desktop at your home is mm-hmm. compared to the 3 megabytes that I get via Comcast cable in my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're paying about uh, 7 or $8 a month. Mm-hmm. I'm paying $499,000 mm-hmm. a month. Yeah. So the worldwide common denominator really is cost per megabyte. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you start taking each country or each big cities or each service provider's rate structure, you will see that the United States is paying the highest rates in the world for their internet access. I mean, I'm just trying to think a blind that is. You know, there's UK market rates and they're subsidized everywhere else. I think uh, we pay what the market was better. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you remember, Chase, the plumbing cost for the operators in terms of sold sure. fairly different. Sure. Um, so are they directly subsidized or the indirect indirectly subsidized or with a function of some subsidization direct order, direct and lower deployment costs. Therefore, they need to charge less for it. And the top-19 density makes it. So there's, a, there's a lot of components to it that probably conspired and changed the way the cost of the infrastructure work. Uh, they had 30 frame per second video capture cell phones a year ago when we were there. And they were going to soccer matches and you know, uh, parents were videoing and broadcasting live video feeds of their kids, soccer to their grandparents on the other side of Japan or on the other side of Korea yeah. a year ago. Well, we could have that here in the United States, but there's a whole bunch of uh, non-megapixel quality still camera, cell phones to sell before we roll the next generation Do you think that's the hold up and do, you, do you think that there would not be an appetite to do an introduced right now? Uh, I think there's a, a limited appetite. Um, it's growing. I think there's a cost benefit. Um, I think the FCC has a lot to do with uh, what flying and what doesn't and why. And they're due to rewrite their telecom act this year. And uh, with Michael Powell gone, all bets are off as where that goes and why, but I think it's among the most essential events for business to wash in the year 2005, that and oil prices. I mean, they been talking about doing it for a year, though, so maybe even longer. It's coming. It has to be done. For voice over IP to take off, Uh they have to dress 911 over voice over IP. They've got to decide if they're going to attack the internet or not. They've got to decide if they're going to attack and treat Voice over IP at south telecom or IP. And, and the sooner they do it, the sooner those industries can flourish or, or adjust. So it's, it's, it's a matter of survival in my opinion. It's got to happen this year. Mm-hmm. I guess last question. Should broadband become the standard amenity for commercial and industrial that's Absolutely. It, it's already beginning to happen. Um, when we got back from Asia, I only knew of one landlord doing it. And that was one of the guys who was on the trip with us who owned several private days, uh, office buildings in downtown San Diego. He mm-hmm. uh, decided to offer internet service of Wired and Wireless to his tenants as an amenity. And he therefore went into the telecom business. And he acquired uh, bulk Broadband. Mm-hmm. and paid wholesale rates. Mm-hmm. And turn turned around and offered it to his tenants. For a fraction of what they were paying to individual providers mm-hmm. uh, prior to that time. So it was of a thousand dollars a month, became a $250 a month add-on to their monthly rent ticket. And he was profiting from it along the way as well as um, a landlord. Now a whole bunch of landlords have studied the model, and mostly small, entrepreneurial, private, the developers are beginning to stop the strategy, but everybody's studying it, trying to figure out do they want to be in that business, do they want to outsource it, uh, but it's coming. And, and from the user perspective, if you venture out into your space, whether it's office space or a new home, okay, if it doesn't have heat and air conditioning, gas, electric, water, and internet access, maybe you okay, no. it's time to on the list. So it's, it's, an, it's user-driven, it's lender-driven, uh, appraisers are starting to assign additional value to properties because it has it. Um, so all the dynamics are falling into place for it to become. I saw a quote today uh, from Alexander Graham Bell, and I quote something like this: "The day will come when uh, telegraph wires are connected to all homes, just like water in <laughs> It was disruptive technology. Yeah. But once everybody was connected to it and there was critical mass of users, right, yeah. people quickly get adopted the, the perspective, of how did I ever live without it? Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's exactly the kind of transition that's underway now. It's hard to tell how long it will take, but it's absolutely definitely. the Cool. Awesome. Well,
0: thank you very much.